And once we get that right, which is for me the most important thing, that they have, first of all, respect. The second one is commitment. The third one, passion. Those three ingredients are non-negotiable. Hello and welcome into the Non-Negotiables podcast. I'm Gavin and I'm here this afternoon with Justin. How are you doing, Just? Hey, hey. Good. Well, let's get uh, let's get stuck into the week that the week that was. It's uh, maybe not as mental as the the week before, but still a, a pretty busy week. Um, obviously, we've had the Havertz confirmation. We've had the rice bid accepted, although we're still haggling a little bit over payment terms. Um, Urian Timber looks like that's almost in the bag now it seems we're, we're almost there with that so let's start with with Kai Havertz because he's the one that is actually here and just there's been a lot of debate online about about Havertz about where he fits in the team and you know should we be paying that much for him and so let's get stuck into the the, the real big question so on a scale of zero to Youngmin Son how much of a dick is the guy that leaked the announcement video? Oh yeah, that was awful. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, the announcement video was pretty awful too. So, well, I was know. going to ask you to rate that on a scale of zero <laughs> to our new away kit. Um, the away kit's not zero. <laughs> no, no, the away kit's ten. That's the most. That's the oh, most God. shit. <laughs> yeah, both. Uh, both. You know, I mean, the video was, was bad in and of itself. I, I did enjoy the video of the guy uh, carrying his jersey to Spain to Kepa's wedding, though. I yeah, taking that. it through the wedding. That was yep. that was actually better than the announcement video. It was. Yeah, it was. Great. Yeah, they should have just they should have just stuck with that. Um, but in all seriousness, there's, you know, it's we don't know where Arsenal don't discuss transfer fees, right? Like, like they will not tell you what the fee is. And when these fees come out. You've got the selling club who want to make them look as high as possible, the buying club who want to make them as low as possible. And Arsenal don't say anything, so it's left for the other club to basically leak things all in sundry. So we know that the deal was £65 million. We don't know what was down. I think most of the guesses seem to be 50 to 55 down, and then the rest in, in add-ons seems to be where it is. But yeah, I understand that for some people it seems like a lot of money because he's had three pretty poor years at, at Chelsea. I think everyone's had quite a few poor years at Chelsea. Yeah. Are you worried at all about the about the fee? The fee did seem to affect him when he went to Chelsea originally. So, I mean, <clears throat> Havertz is, is, is kind of our toughest transfer so far, I think, um, in analyzing him, because, you know, like you said, he's coming from a rival of, uh, you know, we we've had a pretty hit and miss history come with players coming from Chelsea. Um, and then, you know, his underperformance and it, and it was an underperformance despite, you know, having a CL winning goal. Um, I think though, for a player at his age with his pedigree still coming from an underperforming side that can fill in, in literally all five attacking positions. I don't think the fee is, is that crazy. It's, it's kind of the going rate nowadays. Um, you know, you sign a 24-year-old that can play striker, winger, and attacking midfielder all competently. Um, I mean, that's what you're going to pay. Um, so, no, I don't really have too much of a problem with the fee. And I don't really have too much problem with the signing either. 
Um, I still am really curious to see what we do with him. I've kind of, like you, switched to thinking he probably is going to be the left eight um, when I thought that absolutely wasn't going to be true when I first heard the news. But uh, but I think this is the one we've kind of taken the most gamble on, but the one that could pay off the biggest. That's the interesting part. I, I said from the get-go, this this signing, I, it, it wasn't that it was exciting. I wasn't overjoyed. I wasn't upset. I wasn't annoyed. I was intrigued, right? Yeah. That, that's that's the word. I was intrigued. There are still so many unanswered questions about this. It was very interesting to me that when Arteta was talking about him, he said he's going to bring a lot of different options to our midfield. Yeah, I saw I, that too. Yeah, I thought that was very, very interesting. I thought that was very telling. Um, I also think you almost have to look at him and Rice as a pair because I yeah. don't think you can do... I think you can do Rice without Havertz. I don't think you can do Havertz without Rice. Um, I think having Havertz in that midfield is going to require something a little bit different behind than Thomas Partey gives you. I think Rice is a lot more physical. He's a lot more powerful than Partey. Yeah. He's a lot more defensively minded than Partey is. He's not as good at... Uh, his progression stats are very, very good, don't get me wrong, but he's also in a team where he has to be the ball progressor because there is no one else. I mean, what else are you going to do? Give it to Soufal? Like, he, he has to play that role at West Ham. I yeah. actually think that him coming in actually makes Zinchenko possibly the most important person in our team because we've now got to find a different way to progress the ball out. And I think that he's going to be most of the time through Zinchenko playing kind of the way Party used to do because you're not going to see Rice get the ball on the edge of the box and wriggle through three players. That's just, that's not his game. I think you're going to see Zinchenko doing more of that stuff. But I think, go on, Joss. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that uh, lends credence to the uh, the Timber signing as well, because we've got another player that, um, not as good as Zinchenko, obviously, but very adept on the ball. Um, you know, a, a, a good dribbler, a good passer. I think um, all these signings seem to uh, like fit together like a puzzle piece as of right now. Yeah, I agree with you completely. So when we when we get to the end of them, we'll, we'll start to talk about that a little bit more, and we'll go into what sort of shape the team might take up with with these signings. And I think I don't think Ben White is as far away from that as people seem to think. People no, seem, I don't either. Seem to be thinking that Ben White's just a run up and down the line merchant, and and you know that yeah. you're immediately going to see Timber come in. I don't think that's the case. I think Ben White's going to start the season at right back. Um, I think you might see him play it slightly differently because I think a lot of people are going to play their roles a little bit differently this year. I think the roles are going to change somewhat. Um, so that's why the Havertz one is so intriguing to me because at first, your mind can't get around it at first, right? Because what you've seen is three years of Kai Havertz playing right up top for a Chelsea side that has been constantly in disarray, whether they've been managed by Frank Lampard, whether there's been a, a war in Russia that's completely destroying the club, whatever it is, there you know, you've had this takeover of Todd Bowley, who's obviously a crazy man. You've <laughs> you've got you know, there's been so much disruption. I mean the signing of what have they signed? Like twenty two players in the last eighteen months. So you've had all that disruption for him to deal with as well. People forget he came here as a young kid. You know, he's yeah. still only yeah. 24. He was young. And I don't think he is an alpha personality. I'll say that right up front. The way that I believe Erdegaard is, the way that I think Saka is, the way that Fabregas was. That was always why I preferred 
preferred Fabregas over Ozil. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, or Ozil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Havertz is, is a lot more similar to Ozil in, t- in, terms of the, in terms of the personality rather than anything else. Even the way he moves is, is kind of languid like Ozil. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's yeah. very tall, he's very skinny, that's it. But I, I just think, I think he, he says himself he doesn't like the spotlight. Um, he yep. said that he found the, the transfer fee when he moved to Chelsea. He said he found that like a millstone around his neck and the expectations were, were really high and he, he struggled with that. I think some players, Erdegaard's a good example. I think Erdegaard lives up to that. You give Erdegaard the captaincy and he plays up to that. I don't think that's Havertz game. And I, I think that is the one worry is that pl- with that personality type, you can sometimes be a bit peripheral. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, we, we've seen that before. Um, I just hope, I think we've got uh, like a, a good enough collection of guys now to, um, I, I don't want to say like force an introvert to be more extroverted or anything, but like, I do think we've got guys in the squad that'll make, a player like that a lot more comfortable oh uh, you, you know when you look at like the Chelsea squad it, it was just so much more of kind of a a, a hodgepodge of uh of names yeah it was a collection of egos thrown together yeah. with with no thought about anything else yeah yeah exactly and so I think we're, we've got a much more of kind of a um and I hate to say like a family atmosphere but I, I guess that is kind of what I mean um where you know you we've got players that are probably going to you know, take him under their wing and, and, and help him be a lot more comfortable here. He always did kind of look like a bit an outsider at Chelsea. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's definitely true. Um, so, yeah, so that, that is more of a personality type of thing. But what he, what he brings on the pitch, you know, we saw that role morph a little bit last year where Granite was obviously playing a lot further forward and he was, it was more about either getting runs into the box or running outside to the left and letting Martinelli come inside. You'd have to say, looking at that, Havertz is a much more, let's say, technically gifted player than Xhaka's for doing that. Right? What he, I think, I think what Xhaka had or has is an incredibly high football in IQ, especially on the defensive end. He knows where to stand a lot more than someone like Kai Havertz will. Um, which is why I said I think this is in tandem with a Rice deal because I think Rice is almost like having two players behind there just because of how physically imposing he is because he's you know he's six foot two he can run all day he's yep. strong as an ox and I think that you you kind of need that if you are going to try and go with these two central midfielders and it can be done right it can be done we've seen it done before we've seen Manchester City do this with De Bruyne and uh, either Bernardo Silva or David Silva. So we've seen mm-hmm. it, and you can do it because they've got Rodri behind. Yep. That to me, this is the thought behind the signing of Rice. I think him and him and he was bought to let Havertz do his thing. Yeah, I agree. And something that's not really mentioned a lot. Well, I've not seen it mentioned a lot. To be fair, is that we are a side that uh, keeps the ball. Um, you can do that kind of stuff when you have the ball 65 percent of the time. Um, so I think possession and the style of play also lends to a player more like Havertz uh, n- not necessarily than Jaka, but the the different uh, the different style of playing uh, or, or the way we play, you know, lends to a player like that. Um, 
you know, we need that left eight to, uh, to, to press and, you know, harass the opposing midfield and back line. And Havertz is absolutely going to do that. You know, positionally, he's not going to be as, um, as defined as Xhaka was, but, uh, you know, I think the defensive areas he carries are exactly, you know, what we're looking for in that position, not really a player like Xhaka. Yeah. I mean, last year we went up to 88 goals, right? And, yep. uh, you know, and we um, we ended up with, with what points we ended up with? We ended up on 84 points. I think this year the target has to be 90 and 90, right? So we, we sat here at the start of last season and, and said that, I said that my ultimate aim for last season would be 80 and 80. I think this year it jumps to 90 and 90. So you've got to do that. You know, at the end of the day, as good as last season was, we fell short. So you have to adjust and you have to adapt. And even if you don't fall short, you still have to do that. There's a reason we never won consecutive titles. We didn't win consecutive titles under George Graham. We didn't win consecutive titles under Arsene Wenger. We'd win the title and then try and defend it with what we had. And that's not the way to do it. You have to adjust. You have to adjust the whole whole time. That's what they say, right? Uh, A wise man repairs the roof while the sun's shining, not while it's raining. Yeah, I mean, that's something um, Sir Alex Ferguson was really known for. He would always refresh almost more after a title win. Um, you know, even coaching staff, not even just players. So, so yeah, I think that's that's really important. And we obviously, uh, you know, kind of had a, a weak ending to the season last year. I know a lot of it had to do with, um, with injuries and whatnot, but uh, it does seem like the club is trying to rectify that in, you know, more goals from midfield with Havertz, uh, you know, more defensively sound midfield with Rice, uh, more playing into midfield, keeping possession, creating chances from right back with with Timber. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's it's great. And, you know, uh, obviously the, uh, the Saliba back injury killed us. So already, you know, addressing that as well this early in the window is, is just massive. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with your point. We we've, even though we had a good season last year, we still had another level to go up. And we're also, we're also getting younger again. We were already (laughs) the youngest team in the league and now we're getting younger, but we're getting younger with players that are hugely experienced. Right. So you know we're getting we're getting five years younger at the DM position, but we're getting five years younger with a player that's already got forty three caps, played in the European Championship final, played in a World Cup semi final, won a European trophy, been captain of the club that he's leaving. Played I don't know he must have played two hundred games for West Ham I would imagine maybe even three hundred games. Yeah. Um, you know in Kai Havertz you're getting a player that's obviously a German international player that scored a winning goal in a Champions League. Final. I don't know if he won a title at Chelsea because I can't remember when. No, he couldn't have because Man City have won five of the last six and Liverpool won the other one, so he couldn't have. But he's, you know, he's 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 won a champions. He's won a Champions League. Even Yuri and Timber has obviously won titles because you or me would win titles if we played for Ajax. But he's played in the Champions League, so it's you know we're buying players that we are getting younger again, but there's more experience, and I think with Arteta's style. And, and and it's going to evolve again, right? So mm-hmm. we saw the style massively evolve last year, and I think it's going to evolve again. And I think this year, I think we're going to be faster. I think we're going to push higher. I think we're going to try and smother teams a little bit more with that pressing. And I think, like you said, we're going to have a lot more of the ball than even last year. I think we're going to control. I think it's all about control. I think we're it's going to control. control 
games even more. So it makes sense to be bringing in this profile of player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's what it's all about. Um, I think I think Xhaka did an outstanding job last year. I mean, I was blown away. He totally won me over. Um, but it it wasn't the profile Arteta was looking for, I don't think. I think Xhaka was in the team a lot more for his... Now, he did a great job. You know, I'm not trying to under well, undercut him. He also changed his own profile, though, Justin. He I mean, we've, heard the, we've heard the reports that at the end of the season before, Arteta sat Xhaka down and said, look, this is what I want next season. This is what I'm looking for in that role. Can you do it or do I need to go get someone? And Xhaka yeah. said to him, boss, I can do it. And he came in 10 pounds lighter. He came in faster at 29 than he was when he was 22. He, he, he come in and, and did it. So Xhaka actually changed his own profile to fit that role. Obviously, if you get someone who's more naturally like that, like Havertz is quick. People don't, because yeah. he's tall, I said this to you before, because he's tall, I think people misunderstand what he is because of the way it looks when he runs. You know how it looks when people run. It can look, look at Raheem Sterling when he runs. It looks yeah. ludicrous, but he's quick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, I mean, I, I go back to the Ozil comparison in in just that Arsenal fans. Uh, the he does have a very languid run. You know, he's a tall, lanky guy that you know runs like he's. I you know I don't know. Uh, he he looks lazy in 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 the press when he runs, but he's actually putting up outstanding numbers in that. So. Well, I want to bring something up here too. I mean, I was uh, you know towards the end, especially I wasn't Ozil's biggest fan, but I think you've you've got to respect what Ozil did when he first got here because he was phenomenal. He's first. People forget why he got that contract. It's because of how good he was. And it's easy to look past with the narrative that Ozil was lazy, the fact that he covered the most ground in the team nine weeks out of 10. Do you know what I mean? Like he wasn't a lazy player. People just, people just kind of wanted to paint him that way, but he wasn't lazy. He wasn't good at defensive work is what it came down to. Yeah. 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 He just didn't know how to do it. And then I think after the Germany thing, um, his kind of mindset just collapsed on him. And that was kind of the end of his, his career, but this isn't a Mesut Ozil podcast, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that, you know, I, I do get the comparisons with Ozil, but to me, there's two Mesut Ozil's. If you're making the comparison with the Mesut Ozil we saw for the first three or four years, man, I'll take that every day of the week. If you're making comparisons with the Mesut Ozil we got after that, that's a that's a completely different discussion because that's a completely different player. But those early Meza Ozil deals uh, years, that's not a negative. Uh, yeah, I'm just making comparisons with the way they run. To be fair, <laughs> but- <laughs> no, I know, but a lot of people are making these comparisons though. Not just yeah. you. You're seeing a lot of these comparisons. He's like Ozil, but everyone wants to talk about the bad Ozil, not yeah, the good Ozil. Yeah. So I think you know you do you do have to bear that in mind. I, I think it's I think it's exciting. I, I'm interested to see as well. How many goals did he get for Chelsea last year? You you had the numbers in front of you, right? I do. Seven? Yeah, seven in the Prem, two seven. in the Champions League. One so I am interested. He got seven, and the vast majority of the time, how many, how many games did he play? 35. 30, 30, 35. Okay. And but I mean that's another pro, pro right? I mean the guy's not yeah. really been injured. No, absolutely. But what <laughs> I was going to say is he got that leading the line, right? So he had his back to goal a lot of the time and all that. I am interested to see how many he gets with us, starting from further back and running from beyond Jesus. Because I think there's definitely going to be, I think the kind of chances he's going to get are going to be more suited to him in this system than they are with him playing as a centre forward. If you look at his a lot of his goals, a lot of them are when he's running through, mm-hmm. not 
when he's already in the box. And he scores headers too, which is, which is, uh, yep. I, I mean, we don't cross the ball a whole ton, but it, it does at least give you an option. Yeah, I think 30% of his goals at Chelsea have been headers. So uh, I, I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to continue. Like, I don't think that'll be, I think if that's the case to us, then something has gone badly wrong because it probably means he's only scored five goals. It, well, it's obviously Tierney's time to shine. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> Sling those crosses in. Let's go back to that game at Spurs when we had 48 crosses in a game. No, it's, um, I think, you know, that's, that's obviously not going to, not going to keep up like that, but it's nice to have that option. I just think he can score a lot more goals for us. Than he, than he did there. And that's got to be, if you want to put a positive spin on this, and and, and look, you can look at it whatever way you want. You can say, well, he, he underperforms XG and he's a terrible finisher, can't finish his dinner. So what are we doing? And that's fine if you want to look at it that way. It's, it's absolutely fine to look at it that way. And I, you can't argue with what's there on paper. I just think when he's coming from deeper, coming into a box that's not, maybe it's not quite as crowded, not quite as set because not everyone is around him. They're reacting to him rather than setting a trap for him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I think he's going to give us um, a new dimension in the air, even though I agree with you. I don't think, you know, we're going to be slinging across in the box or anything like that, but it'll be nice to have a striker that uh, can bring stuff down, especially when you have goal machines uh, either side of him, you know, in, in, in Martinelli and uh, Saka. Well, uh, I think that's the bit that excites me the most, Just is what, you know, you know what I think of them two players. You know what I think about their ceiling goal scoring wise. And this is just another player to supply more ammunition, drag more people out of the way. It's someone else they've got to look at. Well, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go. I was just going to say, uh, I think um, maybe some people are getting the wrong idea with this Havertz signing. Um, I know, I know we're not, we've talked about this already, but you know, they look at seven goals in the league, one assist. But what this Havertz signing about is about unlocking the players in front of him. Um, yeah, I no, think it's also about it's also about the um, about pressing even higher. Yeah, and pressing, of course. Yeah, yeah, because he is a he is a a monster at pressing. Uh, so I mean, we're gonna have an Odegaard, Havertz, Jesus, Martinelli, Saka pressing front five. I mean, that's gonna be suffocating. Yeah, and the way we press is a little different too, right? Like we are, we 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 tend to do it a little bit, a little bit cleverer. I think we tend to set traps, so yeah. we we tend to push balls out to when Erdegaard presses. Erdegaard isn't pressing to win the ball. Erdegaard is pressing to force the ball into an area generally out wide for Martinelli or Saka to win the ball high. That, we, that is the trap. That is what we set. And I think now you've got Havertz doing it on the other side as well. And it's going to be interesting because Jesus isn't the leader of our press. Odegaard is. Yep. Odegaard's the one that sets everybody going. I'm interested to see how the dynamic works with Havertz. And this is something we're not going to know until we see it, right? Yeah. And I will say this about all of these deals. This is what I always say. Any of these transfers can only be judged in hindsight. We can we can talk all we want about what we think is going to happen. We can talk all we want about who's worth this and, and who's not. I mean, I will sit there and argue with Man United fans all day long about why Declan Rice isn't overpriced at 105 million. I can do it. I'll sit there and argue. But the truth is that it's another. Th- we are three or four years away from having a definitive answer one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. Let me ask you this though: um, 
do you see this as like um uh so obviously Declan Rice is the deepest midfielder, right? Do you see Havertz and Odegaard as like even up the f- I I know you know when it comes to but I mean do you think they're going to be even uh, like attacking equals or do you think one of them probably Odegaard right would drop a little bit deeper? I would think if one's going to drop deeper, then yes, I would imagine it would be Odegaard would be my guess. But my answer is I, I honestly don't have a clue. I've yeah. I've thought about this too. I, I have thought about this a few times. Is you know is one going to push further forward to get closer to Jesus than the other one? Because Odegaard plays up front a lot. Like yeah. he he was close to Jesus a lot last season. Yeah. And the honest answer is I don't. I just don't know. I think we're gonna. I think the idea is that we're going to compress the space so much that they're both going to be able to get really close to to Jesus. And I, I do think that the one thing I will say is I think Havertz is probably more comfortable than Erdegaard in the box, right? Would, would you agree with that? You think I, he's yeah, I would say that so. with a runs into the box and stuff. So yeah. I think there is, there is that. So I do think that yes, in that case, maybe that will be it, but I'm really looking forward to looking forward to seeing how this, how this all works because the way Arteta sets his teams up, you have a starting, the starting positions are nominal, right? Like like we start in a 4-3-3 three, three that yeah. everybody can see, but within three minutes, no one is where they were. Yeah, it's all about zones, right? Like it's yeah, all about ex- zones. Exactly, yeah. So no one, is, no one is where they were. Everybody's moving around. So I'm really, really intrigued to see what happens after kickoff. And I'm... I'm wondering how much he's going to show his hand in preseason. Because on one hand, you you kind of think like, well, we want to, you know, you want to get this system bedded in. You want to get players used to what they're doing. On the other hand, you think, well, we've got a couple of big games reasonably early. Does he want to go into them games with people guessing what he's going to do? Yeah, you know, that's actually really, really interesting. I, I personally, I could see him... um maybe kind of rotating uh, like Odegaard and Havertz at least early in preseason, Uh, you know, so they're not necessarily playing at the same time in the official friendlies. I don't think he's going to want to show his hand though. This is a manager that, you know, I mean, he won't give anything away about, you know, the slightest niggle to a player. You know, he, I just don't see him wanting to give anything away. Yeah. And and we had last year as well, we had the, you know, he went into a few of the preseason games, or certainly in game, switched to a free at the back, which we didn't see a single time in the league. Um, even when you thought when Saliba went down, well, maybe the sensible thing to do here might be to go with with Ben White and tuck him in in a, in a three. We still didn't see it then. So preseason, although it's although it's important and it gives you a little bit of an informed idea, there is still that cat and mouse game almost where where you don't want to put things on tape yeah yeah I think so and and Arteta definitely seems uh like sensitive to that you know he he thinks about that it's not um I don't think this is some crazy fan theory I mean he he really uh you I mean we already said he doesn't like to show his whole hand but I will tell you going back to one of your previous points just thinking about this um, having Odegaard and Havertz arriving late in the box when you've got like Saka and Martinelli out wide and Jesus dropping a little deep, that's going to be an absolute nightmare to defend. Sorry, it was just a thought well, I had. It's, it's got to be terrifying for clubs. It has yeah. to be terrifying looking at looking at that front five going in there. And I just, 
and I don't think I don't think Arteta's the sort of manager that says, "Well, this is how we're playing. We're at home, opening day to Nottingham Forest. This is how we're playing then, and then we go to Man City." I don't think he's changing that, right? He's like, not, I yeah, don't I see so. any way he's taking habits out and putting Moel Nenny in. No, no, I don't think so at all. So that's I think we're going to line up that way, and that's that's how we're going to play. And I, I think it's really exciting to see what's going on. Let's let's just talk about Yuri and Timber real quick because that one does look like it's going to get over the line too. Sure. Um, so I personally think, I don't think he's being brought in to play centre-back. Um, I think he's being brought in purely as a right-back to challenge Ben White. And I think if something, I mean, the thing that we don't know for all this, obviously, is how Saliba's back. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if he's ready to go for preseason. I don't know if this is something that they say, well, you know, he, he can play for a month, but then he needs a couple of weeks off to rest it so that it doesn't get bad again. We just don't know. But I think in those situations where he is out, I think it will be Ben White moving in, and I think it will be Timber coming in at right back. Yeah, so, you know, I've got a, a lot of family that supports Ajax. They're kind of a second team, so I've seen Timber quite a bit Um uh, he's a he's a good center back, but you know the Eredivisie is a very uh, it's a very tough league to judge against the Premier League. I think. Uh, I mean, how many flops have we seen come from the Eredivisie uh, straight to the Prem and just you know score like one goal or you know? So yeah, I agree. He's going to be a uh, he's going to be a fullback. I think he's really going to be um, even more so than Ben White. He's going to be the Zinchenko on the right, stepping into the midfield and pressing up higher, um, creating more things. I'm not necessarily saying he's like, you know, better than white at any one thing, but it will be really nice to have those options and to have Ben White able to step into center back. I think if we see Jurian, Jurian Timber at all, it, uh, center back, uh, I think things have probably, uh, gone quite wrong for Arsenal, to be honest. So yeah, I, I think he'll be, a uh, Mostly a right back, uh, but he's going to play it similarly to the way Zinchenko plays left back. And I've seen so many Arsenal fans putting their best 11s and stuff out there. And uh-huh. a lot of people are leaving Zinchenko out. Um, I even heard someone say, well, if Timber plays on the right, does that mean we can play Tierney on the left? No. Um, but even moving on from that, like I personally think that these signings make Zinchenko more important, not less. How do you see Zinchenko? Do you, do you think he's, he's in danger of losing his spot? Uh, not at all. No, I think um, I think Zinchenko is just as important as he was. I think having the option of having a player that can do about what he does on the right is is big, and I could definitely see games like, you know, City. Um, you know, maybe, well, not Newcastle, but, you know, some of the bigger games, I could see maybe only one of them playing, but I don't think it's necessarily going to mean tyranny. I would almost expect Kiviour on the left in that kind of situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't if know. Timber I plays. Think, I mean, if Timber plays. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. I just think that's bizarre, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't, I don't believe that you're going to have fullbacks as a pair. I just don't think it's it's. I don't think it's White and Zinchenko or it's Timber and Kivior. The other thing yeah. is like the the thought of Kivior at left back. I'll be honest with you, I'm terrified of it. 
no, 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 no. And, and that's not, I'm, I'm not saying there's fullback pairings. I just mean like in a game against City away, I could definitely see Arteta playing more like how Pep plays, honestly, with basically a back three and you've got a fullback stepping into midfield. That's kind of more of what I mean. Yeah, again, this is stuff that we're only going to see over time. I, I, I yeah. don't see, I really don't see Zinchenko being left out of sight for anything other than injury. I just, I just don't see it. I, I, I can't envisage anyone wanting to play Kivior at, at left back. I just, I just can't. I, I know other people have said it, but I don't know what they see. Some, some people, especially on social media, I think they look at him and see Roberto Carlos. And I, I just, I just didn't see that when he played. He, to me, he looked like a centre back, and a centre back that's still adapting to this league. He certainly didn't look like someone I would trust at left back. You taking Kivi or Tierney though, if you had to? Um, Tierney. Really? Yeah, I wouldn't be happy about it, but I would, <laughs> I would say I would prefer to see Tierney at left back than Kivi. I'd, I'd rather neither of them. I'd rather have someone else. Um, yeah. I, I would rather Tommy Asset than either of them. Hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's. I don't know. I just I just wondered about that because I I just I've seen so many so many people do it. So many people are, uh, are trying to ditch Ben White and Zinchenko already. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, really, that, that, that I don't is really bizarre. Because I mean, Zinchenko's been probably the most transformative player in our side. And Ben White was excellent last year. Ben I mean, White was, a yeah, he was bad excellent. games, but he was he was excellent. And hey, I'm not saying I, that, that Timber can't take that position because I think there's a good chance that Timber will take that position. I think he might come in and do to right back what Zinchenko did to left back, where you see him play and you go, oh my god! But that's not because Ben White's been bad, and I certainly nope. don't expect him to go straight in at right back. He won't. He won't go straight in. Yeah. Like I, I, I bet money it Ben White will start first Premier League game of the season, but Timber will probably be used in. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Havertz and Havertz and, and Rice will definitely start. Um, but, the, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how that one plays out as the season goes on. I do think you're going to start seeing more and more of Timber as the season goes on. And then we've got to see how he adjusts to the league. But, you know, something that um, I've loved about these transfer dealings so far is that, um, you can tell none of these are, are are depth signings. We're just we're just building, you know, squads for certain situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, like this, not... is, this is what I've been been saying, right? This is yep. exactly the drum that I always beat. The way you get worse is you buy squad players. These are not squad players. These are players that are coming in to either take first choice or challenge for first choice. That yep. is what you have to do. We should not be buying, other than young prospects, we should yep. not be buying yep. players to come in the squad. It's why I was against Trossard. And, I mean, Trossard worked out well, but I'm telling you, we can do better. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, at, at the time, I wasn't, you know, super excited about Trossard either. But, I mean, he played it. I mean, he he's a, he's a competitor for any of the front three spots. In, yeah, in and he's going to be useful. He's absolutely yeah. going to be useful. But he's the sort of signing that I personally wouldn't have made. Um, yeah. And and to I, be I, honest, I, they I, didn't want to make it. They tried for Mudrick, mm-hmm. so they didn't want to make it either. All right, well, let's come back in. Uh, let's come back in part two, and maybe we'll go over uh, a bit more of the uh, a bit more of outgoings and, and potential moves that way. So we will see you after the break. <laughs> Hey guys, just a couple of quick halftime announcements. 
we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us reach a wider audience, and we thank you for your support. Also, don't forget to check out our socials. We are The NN Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We try and put out some cool content, so give us a like or a follow and help us build our Guna community. Welcome back to the Non-Negotiables podcast. This is part two. Um, just just to wrap up some of these some of these incomings, um, there's been a couple of a couple of links that are kind of I, I guess more spurious links, I would say. Um, yeah. But I think we'll, we'll just we'll just go through them real quick. So Lavia, um, that's one that kind of won't go away. Uh, I, I personally don't see that. I don't see Lavia really coming in because I think Southampton are asking too much money. Um, I think if he does, it will be more towards the end of the window and a project signing. How are you seeing that one? It's a tough one because I I definitely see where you're coming from. Um, I think they are asking uh, a decent bit for him for, you know, a a relegated side and and his age. Um, I like the player a lot and I'd, I'd love to have him. I honestly, I wouldn't even mind, you know, spunking fifty million on him. I think he'll he'll prove his value. But, but yeah, I I tend to agree. I think um, if we do sign him, it'll be later in the window. We'll probably hope for a little bit of a price drop. I know Liverpool's in there too, so I don't know how that's going to. I would imagine though, with Shobelai, um and uh, McAllister in there already. I would be surprised to see Liverpool drop another 50 million on a midfielder, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, Fabinho was great for them for a while, and then he had just a drastic drop-off. So they've kind of addressed the 8 and the 10, or however you want to word it, the more attacking mid, the more central mid with McAllister and, uh, say it again, Sabalat. Shobelai. Shobelai. But they really don't have, I mean, all their, you know, Milner's gone now. Um, I could definitely see them prioritizing more of the six roles. So, um, you know, I think that'll be one we have to watch. I think we'll have some competition there for him, uh, especially with Liverpool. I, I just don't think he's anywhere close ready to start for a top team. Like, that's that's my thing. I, I look at him and I just don't see a player that could start for Liverpool. Well, he wouldn't. I mean, it would still be Fabinho but you'd have him filling in when Fabinho needs a rest or just like us. I mean, Rice is going to start there. Jorginho would probably even be, you know, the second choice and you'd kind of bed Lavian slowly. I, the, the thing with that though, is that I think Liverpool need an upgrade now. Liverpool, Liverpool don't put it this way. Liverpool don't need Romeo Lavia. Liverpool need Declan Rice. Oh, I mean, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm happy they're going to stick with Fabinho and, and look at someone like Lavia, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be that way around. I hadn't thought about him really keeping Fabinho. He was so bad last year. I, I didn't was, think, yeah. I, I didn't think they could keep him. Um, but but maybe they will. And I'd heard he was looking for a move. But but maybe they will. So maybe they do. And I think if they do, I don't see us getting involved in any sort of bidding war for, for Lavia. I just, I just don't see it. So that's one that I personally don't think is going to happen. Um, a couple of other ones. The one I think that gets everybody excited is Chumani, right? Like we're hearing that maybe Real Madrid are looking for a sale. Um, they're maybe with Bellingham coming in and they're trying to get in bad pay. Maybe they need to try and 
replenish some replenish some cash. Um, I this is one of them that I will not believe until it actually happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I don't. This this kind of seems like nonsense to me, honestly. Um, I can see from a financial standpoint, but I mean, Bellingham is not the the deepest midfielder, uh, not anymore. Uh, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't think the player wants to move. I think they've kind of made Camavinga more of a uh, utility player. Uh, playing in in like fullback and midfield and so I think that that like that six that Casemiro vacated is kind of you know uh, Chumani's to win and I think he could win it I mean let's not forget he was probably one of the highest rated prospects last season before he moved I think this is premature and I I I just I I don't think there's really any truth to it no I would be surprised I mean you know it, it would be very Real Madrid um, to, it would be Madrid, to throw yeah. out la- last year's favorite toy for this year's favorite toy or next year's favorite toy, but I don't know. I think if you've got a midfield with Cruz and Modric that's aging out, and you've got Bellingham, Chumani, and Camavinga, I-, I don't see why you'd be letting one of them go. Like if you need to raise the money, there's got to be someone else you could sell. Yep, and they've got Valverde too. Who I mean, so they've got a nice little collection of like under twenty-five year old midfielders that could be their midfield for the next ten years. You know, um, so yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It, the signing would excite me. I mean, of course, like uh, I think he'd be massive, um, but you know, he he he's also not going to come. He's not going to leave Real Madrid to play second fiddle to Rice either. And I don't think we're looking at a double pivot. No, and I, I also don't think we're looking at another hundred million pound signing this winter. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'll throw that out yeah, there right that's, now. That too. Yeah. Yeah, which is why I don't believe anything about this rumor that seems to have uh, broken in the last couple of hours. Which is, it started with uh, Arsenal are going to move, going to make a move that's going to shock you, and then it went to uh, Arsenal looking at a new forward, and all of a sudden it's uh, Arsenal are interested interested in Victor Rossiman. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just I don't believe this one at all. I I'm not saying I would be against it. I think he's a fantastic player, but I I just you, Napoli are notoriously hard to deal with. I do not see he's not moving for less than 150 million quid, right? And, and we're not paying that. Yeah, I mean this one's a tough one. Uh, uh, so I don't really believe it either. But if I'm looking at our starting eleven after the acquisitions we've made. I'm kind of looking at that Jesus spot and being like, mm, that's maybe the place we could upgrade the most, you know, no offense to Jesus. I love him as a player, but, um, but yeah, this one just kind of seems a bit out of reach. Uh, it would absolutely be a bidding war. I mean, every big club that's looking for a striker is going to have him probably top of their list. I do agree the transfer fee is going to be huge. Uh, you know, uh, De Laurentiis is notoriously tough to work with. Um, yeah, th- this this one feels like someone trying to gain more followers to me. Yeah, I I, I don't believe this one at all either. I think this is. Uh, I think we'll fire this one under bullshit until we uh, until we hear until we hear <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. So let's move on to some of the outgoings now. And it's been really slow on this front. And I think before we before we go out and buy Mbappe, Ozzyman, 
Kamavinga, Chumani. We probably need to sell Charlie Patino, right? <laughs> that's the one. Yep, that's the one. Oh, so, no. Yeah, have you, go ahead. Have you, have you seen anything with anybody being linked anywhere? Because I've just, there was a, there was a, there was a spurious link the other day of someone saying that West Ham were interested in Balogun and then West Ham were interested in uh, Tavares. And my first thought was, oh, fuck, no, let's, let's not get involved in that again. And I just think that's someone just trying to stir up shit because they know how much we don't want to be dealing with West Ham ever again. Yeah, I mean, look, the the Arsenal fan base, like online especially, is is massive, and I think a lot of these places use, um, you know, what the fan base wants to see, um, you know, to 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 build a following. I um I think there there was a link to a French club for Marseille, right? Was it uh or, or for, I'm sorry for Balogun? Uh, was it Marseille? I think. Uh, I mean, they're not going to have the money, are they? Let's, they're let's, not. Yeah. They're not they're gonna not have the money. Have I think the most, the most hashtag concrete um, links we've seen so far has been uh, RB Leipzig. Yeah, they definitely do have the money. Yeah, um, yeah and they're I, just I think, about to get seventy million quid up front from Liverpool. Yeah, and I think that would be a pretty solid, uh, solid move for Balogun, though. You know, my, my stance on it is I'd rather hold him and sell Enkedia. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's going to be how it works. So. I mean, I would too. And like we said before, I think everyone at Arsenal would have the same stance. But, I mean, who's given us £30 million for Eddie? Nobody yet. No, exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I did see Eddie linked with Bournemouth and Crystal Palace. I've seen Balogun linked with Palace as well. But none of this stuff is coming from anywhere, you know, anyone with any clout. This is all... It's all conjecture, I think, at this point. And we are in silly season, right? We're at, we're we're in a season where everybody wants to be the next Fabrizio Romano. So you're getting all these people tweeting, um, sending out things on Instagram, TikTok videos, the works, just trying to get that role. Yeah, I mean, it it is. It's it's peak silly season right now. Um, going into July. Um Look, I mean, we talked about this on an episode three or four podcasts ago. Um, I think we've got a lot of players that um, are on other clubs' lists, but they're not first. Um, I think we will move a decent bit outgoing, but I think it's probably going to be later in the window when some of these clubs' first and second targets go. Um, Tierney, I expect to be, you know, one of the the outgoings that Wait, has... hasn't he already gone to Newcastle? <laughs> I don't even know what's up with that Newcastle link. I really don't. I mean, I feel like that's one of those things the fans willed into existence and uh, you know, journos took it and ran with it. Um but yeah, I, I see us moving a decent bit. I just think it's gonna be kind of closer to the end of the window. And it kind of just depends on our ability to still buy, uh, you know, before we have some massive sales. Your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm just not sure how massive these sales are going to be, to be quite honest with you. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think they're going to be the end of window sales. Um, and I think people are going to be very, very disappointed at what we bring in, is my honest answer. I was the same last year and the year before when people were telling me we were going to get 20 million for Cedric. It's like I just I just think people are you know first oh, fuck off sake, he's still here isn't he well first off we're going to be paying him and Pepe to leave we ain't getting money for them we're going to be paying them to leave right so there's going to be another minus there 
we're not getting 30 million for Kieran Tierney. You can forget about it. It's, it's just not going to happen. If we got 20, I would actually be quite surprised. I don't think we're getting 40 billion for Balogun. I think these these are players that everybody's waiting for. I mean, the 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 only hashtag concrete link that I've actually seen this last week is um, Rob Holding talking to Besiktas about a loan deal. Yeah. You know, I, know. I saw someone saying we're going to get 15 million for Rob Holding. We ain't getting 15 million for Rob Holding. Like, on what planet are you living? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I, I agree. It's just, it's, you know, Rob Holding, it, yeah. I'm not saying he's not a 15 million pound player. I think if he played for Aston Villa or Brighton or Leicester, if he'd have got relegated with Leicester last year, I think Leicester might be able to get 15 million quid for him. I'm saying that we can't. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. Because, I mean, all these players are basically throwaway players for us, you know? Yeah, they're players, they're on, they're players they're that on. we don't want. Right, and they're on high wages. So why are you going to pay for that? Oh, you're not. You're not going to pay for it. So I think I agree with you. I think it's going to be stuff that's going to drag on to the end of the window. The the Balakan one is the one that you think, well, maybe. You know, Leipzig, the, the two Milan clubs want him. Between them, they can offer us one pack of pasta and some, some pesto sauce. So I don't think he's going there. Um, Leipzig are the one that you think, well, maybe they can throw... 30, 35 million at us because they're getting, you know, they, they they basically sell a fortune worth of players every summer and they're sponsored by a disgusting energy drink. So they've got, <laughs> they've always got the money. Yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, I am kind of surprised there's not more uh, Prem leagues or Prem league clubs like looking at them. Um, but maybe that's just kind of a dose of reality for people that think Balogun's going to be the next big thing. I mean, We've barely seen any Premier League links to Balogun. And he's, you know, he's homegrown. He's young. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Leipzig is going to be the best option there. Even Eddie, you know, for all the people that think Eddie is is a, a, a very good Premier League striker and he's just, you know, behind Jesus or whatever. I mean, no one's in for him. Uh, well, I think we've see, got a little I think he, I think he is. And I think we've caused that that situation ourselves. And I think we're about to cause exactly the same situation with Reese Nelson. I mean, let's be fair. We've also caused this situation with Cedric ourselves because who the fuck gives Cedric a hundred grand a week? With his Southampton loan, were they covering all wages? Fulham, you mean the Fulham loan? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. We bought him from Southampton. Yeah. The Fulham loan. Uh, I don't think they were covering all. I think they were covering a large chunk of it, but I don't think they were covering all of it. And I, you know, and this is the this is the problem. We've got this. Cedric is going to be easier to move now than Eddie because Cedric has got one le- one year left, so yeah. it's a lot easier for us to say to Cedric, okay, well you're going to go, and it's going to be on a free. We we wouldn't be we're not getting a fee, but it'd be easier for us to say to Cedric, okay, well Leicester want you in the championship, so go play for Leicester. You're earning a hundred grand a week here. You're going to have to drop down to thirty grand a week there. So here's two and a half million quid up front to sweeten the deal. You know that that's going to be the kind of thing that we're going to have to do um, yeah. with Pepe. I think that's going to be even more difficult. I, I just I think with Pepe, I think we're just going to end up paying him up. I, I don't see another option unless we can try. All we can try and do, I think, is find another loan where we subsidise wages again. That's I, probably I don't see another option. So it's either, yeah, it's either pay him to leave or 
pay him to play for someone else. That, I, I think they're the only two options there. But I think we've given ourselves the same situation with Eddie, and I think we're about to do it again with Reese Nelson. Um, did you see the reports yesterday that the uh, that Arsenal had, had trouble reaching Reese Nelson? Did I, did. I did, I so, did, I did, and I'm confused. I'm yeah. very confused too. I mean, I don't see there be, I don't see it being anything other than. He lost his phone <laughs> because I think if it was anything more than that, we would already we would already know about it. I think this deal will happen. I don't think it should happen, but I think it will happen. Um, so I don't think there's anything there for the for the you know for anyone to really panic about. If anyone's panicking about missing Reese Nelson's forty seven minutes for next season, but it's 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 another deal that I don't think we should do. You know, we, we've kind of uh, we've we've kind of beat this one to death, I think, a little bit in saying that. You know, neither one of us think from a good career move. You know, it, it's 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 bad for Reese. Um, he is not like a backup or a depth option. He's basically an emergency option. I guarantee you, we will play Trossard, Smith Rowe, Havertz on the right before we play Nelson there in place of Saka. Yeah, I I I think you're exactly right. With Charlie Patino, it seems like the club have reached out quite a few times to try and convince him not to basically leave. Um, is there any chance of reconciliation here if Partey goes and Shaka goes? I mean, I, I don't see it because, I mean, if, you, if you're thinking that Emil Smith-Rowe needs to get some minutes in that midfield role, I, I, you know, Patino isn't a isn't a cover for Declan Rice. So I, th- I think this one is going to end that way. I think this is going to be another one that's going to happen towards the towards the end of the window. Um, unless, of course, we manage to convince him that another loan would be the right move for him. But I, I just don't see that. I think if we lose Party and Xhaka, we only sign Rice and Havertz in those areas. I think Patino would be a, a, a shrewd... Uh, promotion like a consistent presence in the first team being able to be like third fourth choice at six third fourth choice at eight the you know the more defensive position if we even go that route um but that's probably just wishful thinking on my part you're not gonna uh come from playing you know 34 games in the championship to barely ever playing or getting you know care about cup minutes um I, this one uh, kind of makes me a little sad because even though uh, I mean I watched a lot of his Blackpool games last year, I did. I watched seven, eight of them. I watched him uh, in the FA Cup against uh, Nottingham Forest, so like some Premier League opposition, if you can call him that. Um, and I do think he's got something to offer, but I mean we're we're seeing a a, a real uh, lack of patience with these kids. You know, this is something that I think like the loan market does. Um, you know, we're seeing it with Balogun and Patino right now. They go off on loan. They're pretty consistent starters, and they don't want to come back and ride the bench at their parent club. And it's totally understandable, but it's also not really the way things you know work. But this is why it's so hard at top clubs to have these prospects come through. You know, we got we got Saka and Martinelli through at a time when we were on our knees. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. There, there is a chance that had we been doing as well as we were doing now, they may not have got the chance. And then 
where would they be? You know, and people, players' careers stall out for all sorts of different reasons. Yeah. Some of it he's not playing. I mean, you get, you know, Patino could stick around at us till he was 22, 23 and have a total of 50 sub appearances under his belt. That's not going to do him any good. So I think we've said before, you we are going to have to accept that a lot of these highly rated prospects are going to go elsewhere. And, you know, Ethan Wanieri's obviously just signed the new deal. He's yep. 15. He's three years away from even thinking about a first team place. So that's a little bit of a different situation with Patino. Patino, he's 19 now, I believe. So yep. he's at a point where he wants to be playing regularly. So his choice is either go on loan somewhere where every year he's having to go to a new manager, to a new city with new new teammates, or find somewhere permanent where he can sit for the next four years and develop. And I understand why he thinks he would be better off getting a move to somewhere, I don't know, pick a pick a club out of the air. Let's let's pick let's pick, I don't know, Blackburn. I understand why he would think he'd be better off at Blackburn in the championship, pushing for a promotion for the next three or four years, playing every minute. And coming up that way, look at look at how good loan spells have been for Emil Smith Rowe and for Jack Wilshire when he was at when he was at Bolton, right? That's because they're playing regularly. I understand why these players want to go and play regularly, and I understand why they don't want to do it in a new city every year for the next four years. Well, look at Odegaard. I mean, that's basically why we got Odegaard because yeah. he was he was done with it, the loan system. Yeah, so I, I, I do I do understand it. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about the quotes from Emil Smith Rowe and um, what we uh, what we see going on with with him at the minute? I know he's a he's a tough nut to crack. He's Emil Smith Rowe because it's because we just we have no idea at all what Arteta's thinking here. But you saw some stuff you wanted to go through. Uh, you know, it's just my general Emil Smith Rowe bias shining through. But sure, we can talk about it. I'd love to. <laughs> all right, well, take us through the quotes then. Um, okay, let me and, bring and... them up because I. Yeah, to take Sorry. us through and 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 you know just just tell me what you think it's what you think it means in regards to what's going on next season. Okay, give me sorry. Just uh, talk about stuff for a second. Uh, talk about stuff for a second. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> so all these incomings, right? They're gonna they're basically the thing that allowed us to do all this and this is this is something that's probably worth touching on real quick while you're getting yourself together what allowed us to do all this i don't know if you saw a brilliant video that was posted but clearing the wage bill in 2018 and 2019 was such a big deal in making room for these in terms of ffp and in terms of actually just giving us the spending power to be able to do these moves so that's why when it comes to players like Partey and Xhaka and will they won't they leave and we think of it in pure football terms right we're thinking well we'd be a better squad if Partey and Xhaka were here and that's true but Partey I think earns 200 grand a week and Xhaka earns probably 150 that's a big chunk to get off the wage bill, Juz, when you're yeah. when you're when you're doing it this way. And getting Urzil and Abamyang and Lacazette was a big earner. Getting all them off the wage bill was was huge to this. So if you look at it as this rebuild is almost done at this point, right? You you would say that these signings this summer are probably they're probably the finishing touches to the rebuild as such, right? Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, it's and, kind of the the VVD. Uh, Alison. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the end of it. So from now on, we should need evolution, not revolution. So it should be you're looking to get 
one player, maybe two players in every summer, but more marquee type players. Yep. And if you're going to do that, you have to be able, you need, you need to stay water, I guess is, is the best way to put it. You've got to have some flexibility there and you can't do that. If you're carrying all these wages, which we've already said, it's, it's, it's really hard to get these guys off at a wage bill. Yeah. And our wage bill is actually quite healthy. Uh, when you compare it to other top six teams, I mean, we just gave a lot of um, extensions out, but I don't think any fan would argue we're giving them out for the right reasons. This isn't, you know, Ozil at 29 making 350K. This no, is. Well, th- that's it, right? Our problem, the problem is, the problem isn't the wages, it's who they're being paid to and where they're being allocated, right? right. Like, that's the thing. I, I have this discussion on the transfer thing where someone said, oh my God, 105 million, that's so much for Declan Rice. We pay thirty-five million for Shkodran Mustafi. You know what I mean, would you rather have one Declan Rice or three Mustafis? So it's you know yeah. you can say you can say well, hundred million on one player, so much we could get three players for that. Well, we could, but who are the three you who are the three you're getting? Because I'm looking at players moving for fifty and sixty million right now, and I'm thinking I don't want two of them instead of Declan Rice. Yep. Well, look at some of the hundred million pound players moving, like Anthony and. Yeah, I mean, it's we, that's just the era we are in. Someone posted on Facebook the other day, um, with Rice moving for $100 million, I just want to see how you guys thought about this. In 1999, we signed Thierry Henry for $11 million, allowing for inflation. That's $20 million today. And I said, but, but, but where are you pulling that number from? You're talking about general economics. That is not transfer, <laughs> transfer value. I mean, Do you know what I mean? It, it's look, completely different. Now, if you were to look now, Henri, the 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 comparison for Henri is probably Havertz, right? Because highly rated, moved for moved for big money. You know, Henri moved to Juventus and it didn't really work. Havertz moved to Chelsea, it didn't really work. So that's probably more of your more of your comparison. Looking at inflation doesn't work because that's not how football transfers work. Football transfers don't go up with inflation. Yeah, no, no, no. That's not really how they work at all. Um, but I, I would say, um, you know, someone like Enzo that Chelsea signed. So they chased Rice for like, what, three, three years back to back. Then they ended up signing Enzo for $120 million to play a very similar position role. We just got Rice for 105 The age difference isn't huge. What is it, three years, I think? Um, yeah. I mean, that that's what I would look at, something like that. I mean, and I know Chelsea is a little, you know, bonkers in the market, but um, I think that's a that's a really good comparison to make. And we got the guy, he's he's homegrown, uh, less money, he's a leader, he's got way more experience. They signed Enzo from the Portuguese League, just hoping it would work out. Now he's a World Cup winner, of course, but... Um, yeah, that's... Well, we, we were talking about can't miss prospect. Right, right. right. Yeah. We, we, you know what you're getting, you know what you're buying, and that that does add something something into the deal. Yep, exactly. All right, listen, I'm I'm ready. Um, <laughs> so um, even my my quotes they're a little broken up because it's the sun, so I refuse to open the website. Uh, so he starts out talking about Declan Rice. This is Emil Smith Rowe now. Sorry. Um, you know, can't speak highly enough about him. Remember the first camp I was at, he was great leader, technical uh, intensity and training, you know, everything he was doing, a real leader and still so young. I don't even think we've really got to, you know, talk about that much, but I think it is good that someone like, you know, Emil uh, looks up to someone like Rice and can see that kind of stuff. Um, 
<clears throat> but then he was asked about transfers. Um, and to quote him here, he said, I feel like the additions we're making are going to really help the team progress again. It's really exciting. So hopefully we can go one step further next season. Of course, it's extra competition with Havertz arrival, but this is football. So there's a couple things that that jump out to me like that uh, in that. Sorry. Um, competition with Havertz. That's that's the big one, right? Yep. Is that yep. he sees Havertz as competition, which is funny because Eddie also said that he saw Havertz as competition. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. yeah but, but the fact that Smith Rowe does see him there and Arteta has made it, I'm not going to say he's made it clear, but he's certainly made noises that Havertz is going to be that midfielder like we talked about in part one. I do too. Yeah. And again, I mean, I know I just said maybe two episodes ago that I didn't, but I'm, I'm being very convinced that we're looking at him for the left eight role now. He goes on to say Emil Smith Rowe now. I did see a lot of talk about my position, but I'm not really sure what they think. I'm happy to play anywhere. Maybe it's inside, maybe it's wide. I'll be having that conversation when I get back. So this one I think is pretty interesting as well because um, a lot of the the, the journal reports, the uh, ITKs were saying that Smithrow was basically exclusively training as an eight and specifically working on his uh, defensive side of the game in that eight position. Um, Which ironically seems to be something we're moving away from because, <laughs> you know, habits, but by signing habits, you're almost saying fuck the defensive side of the eight. Yeah, but, you know, I I find it really interesting because now, like, let's say, you know, you've got Odegaard and, and Havertz uh, who are pretty much made free by Rice, right, in midfield. Uh, you know, they've got a press and whatnot, but they're not having to, like, come super deep or anything. Now you've got players like Vieira and Smith-Rowe who could, you know, fill in, do that same thing. I, I know maybe you don't agree about Vieira, but, you know, at least Smith-Rowe, he presses, works really hard, chases the ball. Um, so I want to, I want actually, this brings me on to something else that I was thinking about with, with Fabio Vieira, right? Sure. Do you think there's a chance that we are going to see Fabio Vieira? Because remember when he play, played for Porto, he played 10 or he played wide either side. Is there a chance that Fabio Vieira is the man that spells Bukayo Saka rather than looking at him? We've been looking at him in these eight roles all along and I just don't think that in the Premier League he's ever going to be able to do that. I just don't. I think it's just beyond him. I think it's beyond his capabilities. Is there a chance that he backs up Saka and can spend some time in that role? I mean, he's left-footed. He obviously likes to dribble. He likes to come inside. I I think I would be more intrigued to see him play. And obviously, you're not going to get a lot of playing time out there, right? Behind Saka, you're not going to play very often. But to me, that seems like a position that he could make more of an impact in than in midfield. And with Erdegaard and Havertz being the two eights, I think all of a sudden, if you do see Emil Smith-Rowe as someone that could play that left eight, he can definitely do the right side. So maybe that's maybe that's how this shakes out. It kind of really makes me wonder. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I'll answer your question first. Sorry. Um, more slight players tend to do better out wide, I think, in the Premier League. Um, so I could see that. I think he's been mostly being trained to be kind of Xhaka's backup, but I don't think that was ever really the right position for him. And I think that's part of our big target with Havertz as well. Um, I don't think he ever played that great out wide when we saw him. 
but I think if you know he yeah, gets he, more, he didn't play great wherever we saw him. That's true. His best game though came in what when Odegaard was out yeah, in the most advanced one game. game. But also, his worst game came when Odegaard was out. When he played against Southampton, was it Southampton? Uh, not Southampton because Odegaard scored. Who was it he played in midfield against and was terrible? I know Sporting, but there was a Premier League game as well. He played in midfield and he was awful. I can't remember who it was now. I can't remember it, yeah. But, he, but yeah, so he's, he's, his best performance might have come there, but his worst performances have come there as well. And I, I just think if you were going to try and wring any sort of value out of him, I think you've got to try and look at doing something different. I mean, it always seemed pie in the sky to me that he might replace Granite Xhaka. Like, I just yeah, thought that same. was ridiculous. And even with changing the shape of the team, I don't know, man. I'm just not sure that I, I'm just not sure that I can see it working. I mean, I'm not saying Arteta wouldn't persist with it because he might, but I just don't see it. No, no, no. no. I, yeah, and I get what you're saying. I mean, at this point, and, you know, I like the player, uh, but I don't see him being anything more than a Odegaard understudy. And even at that side, I'd rather have Smith Rowe in there than Vieira. Uh, he's just more more proven, you know, and a, a, you know, homegrown kid. But you brought up a point uh, with Vieira, like if he played out wide, you know, uh, generally when you have like attacking midfielders go out wide, you know, they, they kind of cheat into the middle. It's very interesting to think how many players we could have actually like playing in the midfield zones next season. If you really think about it, you know, you've got Zinchenko and per- perhaps, you know, potentially timber stepping into midfield and then the midfield three you've got jesus who drops deep you've got saka and Vieira who can both kind of enter that midfield as well um smith Rowe, if he plays on the left instead of martinelli we could potentially have like <laughs> like eight players in midfield just yeah just it's, i mean we've said a million times right arteta loves versatility he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't like to use players that way but he loves players that can. And I think what it is, I just think he likes intelligent players. And I think for a player to know two or three roles, I think there's a certain football IQ that's needed to be able to do that. And I think that's what he likes more than the versatility. I, I don't think it's necessary. well, I like this guy because I can play him here, here and here because he doesn't seem to want to do that. Zinchenko doesn't yeah. play anywhere other than left back. Trossard only played centre forward because he had to because Eddie got Eddie got injured. It wasn't a choice to play in there. So I I don't think that it's I don't think it's something that he that he really wants to do. But I think collecting these players that can do that, I don't think that's an accident. I just think he likes the intelligence that's required to be able to understand multiple roles. Yeah, I, I have to agree. And and Wenger kind of did something kind of similar with, you know, remember he used to kind of collect tens. Well, he collect tens, didn't he? He used yeah, to collect tens, collect tens and then he couldn't figure out what to do with them. So he had to throw a few of them out wide. But he 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 loved the like the technical and playmaking ability of these guys like Roziki, Arshavin, Diaby to a lesser extent, Ozil, Fabregas, um, and uh, it's just really interesting because you know Mikel does kind of seem uh, to be doing that as well, but just kind of on maybe a slightly different level. Yeah, I think I think Arteta basically he's just a little bit more. Wenger was very much he liked all the good players. Right, that's what Wenger was about. He wanted good players. I think Arteta is a little bit more about specifically targeting players that fit how he sees the team playing. Right, that, that's the difference. It's the it's the old go out and enjoy yourself. The players always used to say about Wenger, it was go out and enjoy yourself. Whereas Arteta is very much stay focused on this. You make this run, you do this. That that to me is the difference there. But I do take your point about collecting a lot of the same 
type of players or same profile of players. Yeah, it, it's just really interesting because, uh, you know, the, those kind of attacking midfield players tend to be, you know, kind of top notch in their, you know, passing, dribbling, you know, skills. So it's it, it's always great to have, you know, a number of them. And it, it kind of seems we're doing something similar again. Yeah, no, we're definitely well covered now. I mean, let's let's be fair. If if we didn't make a single other signing, we would be we would have plenty of cover. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely everywhere. No one could possibly complain about it. And again, I think there's going to be less games to go around next year because the Champions League. We're going to be playing the first team in that. Um, I think he's going to want to make a run at the FA Cup next year as well. I don't think you're going to be seeing wholesale changes in that like we did this year. So it's going to be an intriguing one, and there's there's a lot of this summer to go, right? So there's there's still a lot more outgoings that could happen yet, which could force us into into moves coming in. But right now, I think we're in we're in really good shape, right? It's another week of another week that's basically just been full of good news. Uh, it really has been one of the uh, best weeks I think I can remember as an Arsenal fan. Just as you know. It, as far as good news goes, um, you know, and when Aries contract, which I know isn't as big a deal, but the incomings, you know, just addressing everything. I mean, it's been really nice to see because uh, we've had some shockers of a summer. I mean, you remember the Czech summer. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We've all, we've all been there and it's, it's, it's quite clear. Years ago, when we moved to the Emirates, we were promised that moving to the Emirates would be would basically make us able to compete compete with Bayern and Real Madrid. It's taken seventeen years, but are we finally there? I think so, but I am. I you know I don't know if we'll ever get this in concrete writing, but I am curious to know how much the Croatian because doesn't it feel like we are getting some ownership backing at this point? But. Yeah, they they converted all the debt into. I mean, it's still debt, but it's it's owner debt instead of bank right. debt, which at a time of high interest rates is is very handy. Um, I think the watershed, and I think everyone can see it clearly now, was getting rid of Usmanov. That that was the watershed moment. Was getting rid of Usmanov. We yep. had in was it twenty eighteen when all of the twenty seventeen twenty eighteen when all of the deals that we did that were front loaded to pay for the Emirates all expired and all of a sudden we'd been living for years on scraps because we we'd front loaded those contracts so much. We're yep. now getting we're now getting all new sponsorship deals. The Adidas deal has you know bumped the coffers up. So I think we're now starting to see it and and this has been this has been slowly building to this point and it makes you optimistic for the future that we can carry on like this. I'm not saying we're going to need to do this every summer, but I think we can. Yeah, it does seem that way. And, you know, uh, the Kroenke's now KSE's gotten a, um, you know, a taste of winning. They've got the Super Bowl. They've got the NBA championships. Uh, we don't talk any... about that. Hockey too, right? I'm Did... still not over the NBA championships. So. Uh, yeah. But, but didn't they win? Did they win hockey? I don't really follow hockey that much, but um, I don't, I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they won. They might have won okay. last year. They didn't, they didn't win this year. They definitely didn't win this year because they okay, okay. Florida in the final, so they definitely didn't win this year. But they may have won a couple of years ago. I'm not really a hockey guy. Yeah, yeah, me neither. But it does seem like they're, you know, they've got a, kind of a taste of winning. They're they're dumping tons of money into all their sports teams now that they own, and you know, it, it's good to see. It's it is it's it's optimistic. You know, it is. Yeah. If nothing else, it's optimistic. I agree. So, okay, well, that ends a, that ends a pretty good week and uh, ends the show. So we'll be back at the start of next week. Um, Just thank you very much for uh, joining me this morning and uh, we will see you all soon. Goodbye. Hey, thanks, guys.
Good night.